they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome. Welcome to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday. This first the, Friday. That's right. The first Friday of September. It's, it's Friday, September the 3rd. Yep. So um, we honor the Sacred Heart of Jesus in a particular way on Fridays because Jesus requested that. Yeah, that's a good reason. <laughs> <laughs> so um, make sure you try and make a visit to Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament because we know that he is really present, body, blood, soul, and divinity, and the appearance of bread and wine in his risen, ascended, glorified state. So we're going to read from the Gospel today. This is uh, Friday of the 22nd week in Ordinary Time. Um, and it's from the Gospel of Luke, Luke 5, 33 through 39. The scribes and Pharisees said to Jesus, The disciples of John the Baptist fast and offer prayers, and the disciples of the Pharisees do the same. But yours eat and drink. Oh my. Jesus answered them, Can you make the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? You want me to continue? <laughs> because, but the I days will come, and when the bridegroom is taken away from them, then they will fast in those days. And he also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new clock, cloak to patch an old one. Otherwise, he will tear the new, and the piece from it will not match the old cloak. Likewise, no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be ruined. Rather, new wine must be poured into fresh wineskins, and no one who has been drinking old wine desires new. For he says, the old is good. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So we have this beautiful gospel here. And again, the Pharisees, you know, the question is always, um, are they sincere in their questioning here? And so they're, they're coming up and they're telling Jesus, well, you know, um, John the Baptist's disciples fast and pray. They're also, by saying that, that his disciples aren't fasting, they're, what do you call that? <laughs> implying that they're not praying either. Mm -hmm. The Lord has taught his disciples how to pray, and they pray often. But um, they're saying they're not, they don't fast, but they're eating and drinking. So, you know, what, where do you come off? Who do you think you are, some rabbi? I mean, you know, why are you letting them do this? And, and um, Jesus says to them that the wedding guests cannot fast while the bridegroom is with them. What on earth is he talking about? <laughs> He's calling himself the bridegroom. Well, what, what is this? And, and again, you know, to fast in his presence while he was here on this earth would have been like fasting at a wedding feast, okay? Um, there would come a day when the disciples would fast. Mm -hmm. There would come a day when Jesus was no longer physically present to them in his mortal body. And yes, the, the son of God really became man. So he really took to himself a mortal body that really died on the cross and then became immortal in the resurrection. 
It's only in the resurrection that he receives a glorified body that has all the properties of the glorified body. Okay, and it's not that he feeds us on the flesh that he had in his mortal body. He's not making us cannibals. He will feed us on the flesh that he has in his immortal body, his spiritual body, but still a real body, mm-hmm. still a real body. His, Jesus in heaven is, still has his body, just as we will still have our bodies, but they will be resurrected. And um, so we have this, the bridegroom. Well, where do we get the image of the bridegroom? Well, in the Old Testament, you have the Lord speaking of himself as the bridegroom of Israel, all right? In Isaiah 54, 5, in Jeremiah 3, 20, in Hosea 2, 14 through 20, very strong imagery. Remember the prophet Hosea, and and God tells him to go marry a harlot, and um, so he does, Gomar. He goes and marries this harlot, and she's not faithful to him. But it's a sign to the Israelite people that you are my bride, and you are being unfaithful to me. So Hosea is a prophetic sign to Israel, and this is what God is doing here. And so now Jesus is speaking of himself as the divine bridegroom, as the bridegroom of the people, that how can the wedding guests fast when the bridegroom is with them. And you can see this in Matthew 25, 1 through 13, also in Ephesians 5, 25, and in Revelation 19. And so um, you have him as the bridegroom. And in addition to those passages, you have in the Gospel of John, in chapter 3, 27 through 29, you have this incident where um, John's dis- John the Baptist's disciples get all upset because, um, you know, they, they, were, they say, um, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, they're referring to Jesus, whom, to whom you bore witness here, is baptizing, and all are going to him. So John, the Baptist disciples, are upset that everyone's running to Jesus. And what does John say in reply? John says, no one can receive anything except what is given to him from heaven. Mm. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, and I have been sent before him. So John was sent before the Christ. He's sent to make way for him. And then he goes on. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. Oh, mm-hmm. John is telling us John is the one who was sent to bear witness to the coming of the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed of God. And here he's saying, he who has the bride is the bridegroom, that the friend of the bridegroom, the best man, who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now full. John recognizes Jesus as the Christ and therefore as the bridegroom, Mm -hmm. even as God had spoken of Israel being his bride in the Old Testament as a prefigurement. Now Jesus is the bridegroom. He is the bridegroom and he is going to have his bride. And the best man isn't sad about it. He says he must increase and I must decrease. So John gives this witness. He gives us this witness that this is his role. This was his role, was to 
bear witness to Christ and and to to not to have the bride for himself. And so Jesus is the bridegroom. So he's telling the Pharisees, no, they can't fast because I'm still with them. Okay. And um, so we have the, the bridegroom and that's, and then we have the new garments and the wineskins and the old garments, right? Mm-hmm. So we had the old covenant and the new covenant. And, the new covenant is, it's not, they're not going to coexist. The old, the old covenant, and it's not like it's obliterated. The new covenant fulfills everything that was prepared for and pointed toward that would be in the new. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the old covenant had things that were provisional in it, like animal sacrifices and circumcision and the dietary laws. And this is made very clear throughout the New Testament. These things were provisional. They weren't to be forever. But, but the Old Testament was a way to prepare for the new. But you had the Old Covenant prepares for the new covenant. But you're not going to take the, the um, new covenant and put it into the old. And you're not going to take the old covenant and put it into the new in the terms of that the old covenant would supplant or that it would continue forever. No. The new covenant is that fulfillment. It's the fulfillment. And so it is the new wine. It's the new wine that Christ brings forth. And yet that wine has to mature. Wine, if you know anything about making wine, and I, I don't know personally, but I know from what I've heard, you have to allow the wine to mature and grow. And so it's, it's not good to drink the wine right out of the vat. You won't know its goodness until you allow it to, to mature and mellow. Mary, let me just jump in. That's a great point about, <clears throat> because we know Father Fessio's a vineyard, and we watched him do it. I mean, it's amazing how that process is. I want to jump in before the break ends to promote the True Devotion Conference off St. Joseph. You're going to be a speaker there. The 18th of September is coming up quickly. Father Charles Murr will be there. His topic is uh, Husband and Father, How to Find the Right Partner in Life. Uh, Father Stephen Lewinsky, uh, he's going to be talking about uh, St. Joseph as protector of, of the life and family. You're going to give a biblical teaching of St. Joseph. I like what Father Lewinsky is also going to be speaking of, St. Joseph, man of humility, man of mercy. Mm. So this weekend, that that's a weekend of the 18th of September. We start at 9 a.m. We'll have mass confessions because we have two priests mm. going on. We'll we love that. And the way to register is to go to vmpr.org. <clears throat> or you can register online, but you don't have to do it online. You can call. We've got people right at the office right now at 877-526-2151. I also have some pictures of St. Joseph that Father Don Calloway sent to me, who's the uh, author of the book Con- Total Consecration to St. Joseph, that uh, we're going to have raffle off at the event. So it's going to be a lot of fun, and you'll learn a lot about St. Joseph. This is the year of St. Joseph, so what a better time to go to a conference on St. Joseph. So look at vmpr.org. You can register online or call us at 877-526-2151. When we come back, Mary Danielle will continue to be uh, giving us some great scripture commentary. And uh, you're... uh, listening to the bible with the barbers all of our podcasts are on the website stay with us family we'll be right back 
Now back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, September 3rd, the first Friday of September. Yay, team. And we want to take a real close look here at Paul's letter to the Colossians. This 22nd week of ordinary time, we're in what's called year A for the daily readings. Mm-hmm. And that's the, the first reading at the daily mass. And we're reading the letter of Colossians right now. And today's reading is from Colossians 1, 15 through 20. Brothers and sisters, Christ Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him were created all things in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All were created through him. All were created for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he himself might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile all things for him, making peace by the blood of his cross. Through him, whether those on earth or those in heaven, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And so we have this powerful, powerful Christological <laughs> yeah. hymn here in, in Paul's letter to the Colossians. And he says here, you know, that Christ is the firstborn. He's the, he's, he's, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And it's interesting. He is the invisible of, uh, he is the image of the invisible God. Well, do we have anything in the Gospels that's similar? Well, if you listen to John, the v- prologue, excuse me, to the Gospel of John, what does it say here? It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And so we have this here in the beginning of Colossians that, for in him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Oh my, that sounds just like the prologue to the Gospel of John. And so we have this witness to the fact that, okay, he is the image of the invisible God. Now, in in Genesis, it says that man was created in the image of God, but it says that Jesus is the actual image, okay? So we can know that God exists without, without faith, okay? That God exists, okay? That God exists is not an article of faith, all right? Any human being who applies his mind in the right way can come to the conclusion that God exists, all right? But we can never know without God's help the essence of God. We could never know God fully who he is in himself, all right? So God is said to be invisible, okay? We, we can know him from his works, 
we know that you can't have creation unless you have an uncreated creator. You can't have order unless you have an intelligent design behind it. You can't have beauty unless there's an uncreated source of beauty. You can't have truth unless there's an uncreated source of truth. You can't have movement unless there's an unmoved mover. These are all, the pagan philosophers knew this. I mean, the pagan Greek philosophers, go back and read them. I mean, modern day philosophers seem to have a hard time with this. But the pagan philosophers knew this. You can't have something called infinite regression. There has to be a beginning. There has to be someone who existed. And we know it's a someone because it, had to be in, it has to be intelligent. Okay? Someone existed who created all things that are. So he is invisible to us. He's pure spirit. Okay? So, you know, in John 1.18, in the first gospel, in the in the Gospel of John, first chapter, verse 18, John says, no one has ever seen God. Right. So in, this, in, this, in the scriptures, we are told that in the image of God, Genesis 1.26, that's how man was created. Man was created in the image of God. But only the second person of the Blessed Trinity, the Son, is the perfect image and likeness of the Father. Okay. This is what God reveals to us. The Father from all eternity speaks one word of perfect knowledge. And that word is a person. And that's why the second person of the Blessed Trinity, the Son of God, is called the Word. Because he's the Father's word of perfect knowledge. So he is the perfect image of the Father. And um, Thomas goes on to explain that the image and likeness of a thing may be found in something in two ways. So the image and likeness of a thing, in one way it is found in something of the same specific nature, okay? So the image of the king is found in his son because the son of the king is of the same nature as the, the king, right? Or you can find his image on a coin, right? But that's not, you know, it's not of the same nature as him. So in the first way, the son is the image of the father. And in the second way, man is the image of God. So in the first way, Jesus is the same, Jesus, well, the son of God, the word of God, who takes a human nature, and the human nature's name is Jesus. But the son of God is of the same nature as the father, but man is like the image on the coin, okay, Thomas tells us. And therefore, in order to express the imperfect character of the divine image in man, man is not simply called the image, but is referred to as being according to the image. Let us make man in our image, according to our image, okay? whereby is expressed a certain movement or tendency toward perfection. So man is not the perfect image of God. Only the son of God is his perfect image. This, that, that man, you know, is, okay. So man is moving toward, uh, he tends toward, or, or he's tending toward a perfection. Remember, be perfect as, as the, as, even as your father is perfect. We're called to perfection. And of course, we can only do this with God's grace. <laughs> we can't. You know, we, we didn't make ourselves. It's God who made us in his image. 
So it's only through God's grace. But it cannot be said that the Son of God is according to the image because he is the perfect image of the Father. That's in the Summa, theologia. Mm-hmm. And so from something, for something, excuse me, for something to be truly an image, it has to proceed from another as similar to it in species, or at least in some aspect of the species. So the Son is the image of the invisible God. This means that the Father and the Son are one in substance. That is, both possess the same divine nature. We don't believe in three gods. There is one God, but that one God is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And again, we can know that there is a God without faith. That's right. But we cannot know that there were three persons in God without faith. Mary, let me just jump in and mention Dr. Scott Hahn did a three-CD set on the Trinitarian life, which was very beautiful. I'll give that away to our listeners. If you want to make a donation, you can. But if you want to get a really good three-hour course on the Trinitarian life, uh, call 877-526-2151. And let's just be honest. You know, the Trinity is a mystery also. So we can, you know, explain the best we can, but uh, it is still a mystery. No matter If someone, I remember Bishop Sheen being told on Life is Worth Living, you're smiling. (laughs) And then the guy came up and said, I got it all figured out, the Trinity. He's like, really? You got it? But more than I got. Okay. <laughs> Anyhow, continue. I thought I'd bring a little humor to that. Absolutely. And, I, you know, it, it's, this is, this is the, the important thing about this scripture passage here mm-hmm. is the witness to who Jesus Christ is. Mm. Now, remember, it's interesting because in the Gospels, you have these instances where, um, you know, and, 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 you know, such a good point. God is God and we are not. How can we ever know God in his fullness? Yeah. We couldn't. We couldn't do that. Because we're not God, we're right. his creatures. So we can never fully know that. So if we think we fully understand the, the, the mystery of the Trinity, um, we're not understanding the Trinity. The, the, we're understanding something else, but not the Trinity. So, but, but in the Gospels, Jesus, you know, he would be exercising a demon and the demon would say, we know who you are, Holy One of God. And, and everybody said, well, see, the demons knew who he was. They knew he was the Christ. Right. They knew he was the anointed one, but they didn't know for sure that he was the son of God incarnate. They could see that he was, yeah, he's like the prophets, only he's greater than the prophets. He's doing things the prophets couldn't do. Okay, so they, and he's preaching a truth that's, you know, what was the Irish like to say? The devil knows not so much because he is the devil, although he knows a lot more than we do because he is an angel. Um, as, as he's a very old man. Yeah. So he's been looking at humanities from the, from the very beginning of creation and he has a, pretty good pulse on it. But remember, sin darkens the intellect and weakens the will. The devil does have an intellect and a will. Okay? He's a pure creature. He doesn't have a body, but he has an intellect and will. He has a soul. He, has, it, he is a person. And his, his intellect is darkened and his will is weakened because he rejected God. He sinned. And so, he, he, but he knows a lot. Don't argue with the devil. <laughs> he who argues with the devil must... He who sups with the devil must have a very long spoon. Yeah. You're never right. supposed to argue with the devil. That's what Eve did in the, in the garden. Yeah. But, but the reality is, is that, Christ, that Paul here is telling us Jesus is God. Yeah. And yes, this is what the early church believed, that God really became incarnate. The devils didn't know that for sure. They didn't know that this was the son of God incarnate. But they knew that he was the Christ, the Holy One of God. 
that he's that he's doing God's work. That was obvious to them. Yeah. Obvious, he could drive them out. <laughs> yeah, know? really. Remember in the Old Testament that the the God gave to his to to the um, Jewish priests the authority to drive out demons. Right. They had prayers of exorcism. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So we have we have Paul speaking here, and he goes on to talk about this and, and the, the image of the invisible God. Do we believe today that Jesus Christ is really God? You know, sometimes you read modern theologians and you read what they say and you're thinking, they don't really believe that Jesus is God. Yeah. You know, some of them you come up with the conclusion that, well, yeah, he was a nice guy. He gave us a great moral example, but that's the end of the story. Well, wait a minute. If he's God, then he can give us grace, right? He can give us the power to keep the commandments he's given us. Do we believe this is possible? Great question, Mary. I hear the music. I do too. Yeah. Hey, uh, Bible studies, you're looking for them? You can go back onto our website, vmpr.org. Not only have Bible at the Barber's uh, podcast, but all of the programs from Terry and Jesse's show to Gary Machuda's show to Jesus 911, much more. It's all available on that podcast. Be right back with more on the Bible with the Barbie. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome, welcome back to Bible with the Barbers um, on this Friday, uh, first Friday of the month of September, September the 3rd. So we're talking about this begin this letter to the Colossians uh, that St. Paul wrote, and it um, chapter, uh, verses, chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. That was today's, the first reading for today's Mass. And so um, we're, we're speaking about, you know, the, he is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the invisible of the, invi- Jesus is the image of the invisible God, okay? Because the Son of God became man. He really took to himself a human nature, all right? But that human nature is united to his divine nature in the second person of the Blessed Trinity. Jesus does not have a split personality. He's one person. He is the second person of the Blessed Trinity. So we have, um, you know, Jesus says to his apostles in John 14, 9, he who has seen me has seen the Father. He is the perfect image of the Father. We're made in God's image, but we're not a perfect image, okay? But God shares his life with us. Now, it goes on to say that he is the firstborn of all creation. Oh, well, then he's a creature, right? Well, yeah, his human nature is created. Yes, the human nature of Jesus of Nazareth did not (laughs) exist before the moment of the Annunciation. The second person of the Blessed Trinity, the Word of God, God's only Son, He existed with the Father and the Holy Spirit from all eternity. But the human nature that he would take to himself was created at a moment in time. So Jesus Christ is the firstborn of all creation by virtue of this union. We call this union of the human and divine natures in the person of Jesus Christ. It's called hypostatic. Okay, that's a a big word, and it's just, it's... It's a Greek word that describes how 
the two natures, the divine nature and the human nature are united in the second person of the blessed Trinity. There's only one person. As the son of God, the second person of the blessed Trinity, of course, is prior to all creation. He proceeds eternally from the father by generation. Okay, the word of God, the son of God. And the church has always believed this and it proclaims it in the creed. Born of the Father before time began, begotten, not made, being of one substance, consubstantial with the Father. Okay. But the firstborn of all creation refers to the fact that he has preeminence over all creation. And he does have a real human nature that's really created. His human nature was really created. But he's preeminent. He has headship over all created things. Because his human nature is united to the divinity, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, who predates all things. The second person of the Blessed Trinity existed before anything was created. What does it go on to say? For in him all things were created, in heaven, on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or domination, dominions, excuse me, dominions or principalities or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And again, this echoes the, the prologue to the Gospel of John, right? So how do we understand this? He has headship over all things because the second person of the Blessed Trinity existed before creation did. And even though he takes to himself a human nature which is created, all things were created through the second person of the Blessed Trinity and all things were created for the second person of the Blessed Trinity. Jesus Christ is God. This is why he has preeminence over all created things. The relationship between Christ and creation are spelled out in three prepositions. Three prepositions. In him all things were created. Through him all things were created and for him all things were created. And we can explain those, right? In him, all things were created. In Christ, because he is the source, their center and their model or exemplary cause. Everything that was created was created in the Son of God. All right? And, and he, is, he is the reason, he's the center. All right? And also he's the exemplar. He's the example, the second person. All things were created through him and for him. Through him, in other words, God the Father through God the Son creates all things. And for him, because he is the last and the purpose and the goal of everything, we are made for union with God. And it is the Son of God who, from, the, from all eternity, God intended that his Son would become man. When he had determined to make man, his son would become man. So creation was made for the son. And the son was to be the example to all creation, how it should respond to the father. And everything was made through the son, and it was made for him that we would all return to the father through the son. Just as the son came from forth from the father, now we go back to the father in union with the son. And Paul goes on to say that he holds all things together in himself. The son of God has not only created everything, he conserves everything 
in being. Thus, if his sovereign will were to cease to operate, do you ever think about this? For an instant, everything would return into nothingness, from the nothingness from which he drew it. If he ceased for a moment to will the continued existence of all creation, it would cease to be. You know, sometimes people talk like, well, you know, we don't need God. You know, who's this God thing? You just make this up because you want to feel good, whatever. Well, how logical is that? You know, how logical it is for a philosopher to say, well, you can have infinite regression. You know, you came from your parents and your parents came from their parents and their parents came from their parents and their parents. Well, wait a minute, stop. Even the pagan philosophers of ancient days, the ancient Greeks, the ancient philosophers of the, of the pagan world before Christ became man, before the second person of the Blessed Trinity became man and Christ appeared on the earth. They knew you can't have infinite regression. You can't just keep going back and back and back. If you have creation, there had to be an uncreated creator who created that creation. If you have movement, there had to be an unmoved mover who started things in motion. If you have intelligent design, there had to be an uncreated intelligence to create that intelligent design. This, this is not faith. This is what you can know from the light of human reason. Now that God is a trinity, okay, I'll grant you that one. That's faith. <laughs> that God is one God in three divine persons, that's faith. As a matter of fact, many, you know, all, even our world is creating its own gods, but the interesting thing about it is our world, and like, like all, you know, pagans, we worship the sun, the moon, the stars. Well, nowadays, what do we worship? Power, money, sex, um, the pharmaceutical companies, the government, you know, who was it? Somebody said something about a, a recent president of ours. They said, oh, he's our savior. Um, and that was before Donald Trump. They didn't say that about Donald Trump. Um, but no, he's not our savior. Don't make any man your savior. That's, that's idolatry. And besides which, you're going to find out it's not true. So Paul is, is, is showing us who Jesus is. He wants us to understand he's really God. This is what the church has believed from the beginning that God really became man. And in so doing, he's really raised man to, to a level beyond our capacity to reach. You know, what is man that you should be mindful of him or the son of man that you should care for him? For a little while, he was made less than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and power. Now that refers specifically to the fact that the son of God really be, took to himself a human nature. And for a while, yeah, he walked about in a human nature on this earth for 33 years. And he maintains that. He still has that human nature with him in heaven. He's still the God-man in heaven. And so he's crowned with glory and honor. He is the second person of the Blessed Trinity. And his human nature is elevated to unity with the Godhead in a way that no one else is. All right? And yet God calls us into union with himself. And by the very fact that God became man, human beings who by nature are lower than the angels are raised to a dignity beyond the angels. And the angels, the good angels, marvel at this. They willingly serve us for love of God because this was God's plan 
Not the angel's plan. Remember, there was an angel who didn't like this plan. As a matter of fact, he was the light bearer, Lucifer. He was the highest of all the angels. He didn't like this plan at all. No, he wanted to be the best. He wanted to be the one who would implant, imprint his image on, every, on all creation. And God said, no, you're going to imprint the image of my son. What? I will not serve, he said. I will not serve. Remember, that cry comes from Satan. So if you're catching yourself, you know, grumbling and whining about serving, I will not serve. Now, that doesn't mean you make a doormat of yourself. It doesn't mean you have to let people walk all over you, okay? But to willingly and lovingly serve for love of God, because the Son of Man, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, the Word of God, God's only Son, appeared among us as one who serves. Remember at the Last Supper, he washes the feet of his apostles, and in Luke's gospel, at the Last Supper, he will say, I am in your midst as one who serves. Although the, the account of the, of the washing of the feet is only in John's gospel, it really happened. And Jesus says in Luke's gospel to his apostles, I am in your midst. And this is at the Last Supper, okay? I am in your midst as one who serves. So Jesus is showing us that we are to serve. We serve one another. This is what the angels do for us, the good angels. The good angels serve us. They humble themselves and serve us. And I hear the music again. I want to remind you about the conference on St. Joseph, September 18th. We were calling it a woman's conference at first because there were women who were asking us for a day of recollection, but we weren't getting many signups. So we just decided we're going to do this as a conference on St. Joseph for the family. Everybody's welcome. Please sign up. Call 877-526-2151. I'll be right back. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back. Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, September the 3rd, the first Friday of September. And, um... We're talking about the letter of Paul to the Colossians, Colossians 1, 15 through 20, where he talks about Jesus as the image of the invisible God. And many things he says here, and we've talked about a lot of this already, but just to summarize some of it, so he's the firstborn, okay? So like the eldest child, right? But Christ is, <clears throat> since Christ is the first and only natural son Okay, remember, the second person of the Blessed Trinity takes to himself a human nature. So it's the person of the Son of God. He's the only natural son of God, the Father. And so he's the heir of the Father's estate, right? Which is the entire cosmos. Everything belongs to God. So everything belongs to his Son, all right? And Paul's point is not that Jesus is the noblest part of creation, no, Jesus has the filial right to possess all of creation as his inheritance because he is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. All right? The apostle calls him the firstborn of all creation. Notice he says firstborn, not first created. All right? That we may believe he is begotten in virtue of his nature and first in virtue of his eternity. And then he's preeminent over all of creation, right? Because everything was made through him and for him. And he was before all else that is. 
but not only the visible creation. We have this list here of thrones and dominions, principalities and authorities. That's the name of for the choirs of angels. We have these choirs of angels that are some of them enumerated here. But Jesus has authority over them. All right. And it, it, it doesn't distinguish here between the good angels and the fallen angels. So Paul's point is that Christ reigns supreme over the entire host of benevolent, the good angels, and malevolent, the bad angels, the entire host of the angels. For the order of the angelic choirs, um, in, if you want to see the whole order of the angelic choirs, you see the note on Ephesians 1.21. But, um, so Christ is the head, and he's preeminent. He has preeminence over everything because he is the Son of God made man. And then what? Well, he's also the head of his body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he may be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself, to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And so Christ is the head of his body, the church. All right. The relationship between Christ and his church is the relationship of a head to a body. The head, says St. Augustine, is our very Savior who suffered under Pontius Pilate and now, after rising from the dead, is seated at the right hand of the Father. And his body is the church for the whole church made up of the assembly of the faithful for all the faithful are Christ's members. And has Christ as its head, who rules his body from on high. So Christ is the head of his church. So St. Paul, that's from St. Augustine, and he's explaining what St. Paul is teaching. And St. Paul is teaching that the church is a body. Okay, a body isn't invisible. Now, if the church is a body, it must be something one and undivided, according to the statement of St. Paul. We, though many, are one in Christ, Romans 12, 5. And not only must it be one and undivided, it must also be something concrete and visible. Pope Leo XIII says in his encyclical, By the very fact of being a body, the church is visible. It is therefore an aberration from divine truth to represent the church as something intangible and invisible, as a mere pneumatic entity joining together by an invisible link a number of communities of Christians in spite of their differences. So Christ is the body, the church, the Christ is the head of his body, the church, but a body requires a number of members so connected that they may help one another. And in fact, as in our mortal organism, when one member suffers, the others suffer with it. And the healthy members come to the assistance of those who are ailing. So in the church, individual members do not live only for themselves, but also to help one another, to alleviate their sufferings and helping to build up the entire body. He is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead. This can be said because he is the first man to rise from the dead, never again to die. And also because thanks to him, it enabled man to experience resurrection in glory because they are justified through him. And that's 
those things are all, you know, you can cross-reference those in 1 Corinthians 15.20, Revelations 1.5, and then for um, our resurrection and glory, 1 Corinthians 15.22 and Romans 8.11, and we are justified through him, Romans 4.25. So Christ is preeminent. Again, he is preeminent, all right? And then he is, he, in him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. The fullness of God. God himself dwelt in the human nature of Jesus Christ. So this, and it's a completeness here. This, this pleroma, the, the Greek word for fullness here, it, it has the meaning of um, fills, completes, all right, and it also can, can mean that that which is filled, that which is complete. So he's filled with God, but he's also God. He is united to God, right? Christ is the fullness of the Godhead because he is full of all the perfection of the divine essence. And he is the fullness because he fills the church in all creation. St. John Chrysostom suggests that the word fullness is to be taken to mean the divinity of Jesus Christ. This term has been chosen the better to show that the very essence of the Godhead resides in Jesus Christ. So we know that Jesus is God. And this is the wonder of wonders, isn't it? Not even the pagans envisioned that a God would actually become man. Oh, they had all kinds of gods appearing like men all the time, but that a God would actually become man, that God himself would take a human nature and that he would live among us. So it is from Christ that we receive all that the Father wants to give us, all right? And in him, we will receive resurrection from the dead if we're faithful. And again, we're called to this fidelity, to the, the, the hard work of living in this world without placing our hope in this world or the things of this world. We're not called to have a perfect paradise on this earth, and we're not called to have an eternal life here on this earth. We're called to union with God for all eternity in heaven. We're called to live with him to share in his own life. We will never become God. God is God and we are not. We will always be his creatures, but he shares with us his life. And he shares with us his fullness. And this is so that to reconcile, right? Because what happened, you had this, this fall of man in the beginning, right? Why did man have to be reconciled to God? Because Adam sinned, right? <laughs> Adam sinned. And when Adam sinned, he turned away from God. And not only Adam, but all of creation fell with man. Something was lost in the fall. And all of creation suffered. God's perfect paradise, in a sense, was shattered. And yet he restores it in his son. <coughs> Excuse me. So Christ restores us. Even though Adam sinned, God did not abandon us 
to death. He gives us the opportunity to come back to him, to be filled with his grace. And the second person of the blessed Trinity takes to himself a human nature in order that he might bring peace between humanity and God. And someone might ask, well, he did that for humanity. Why, couldn't he, why wouldn't he do that for the angels? Well, it has to do with the way that man comes to know and the way the angels know. When the angels know something, they know it through and through. So when Satan decided to rebel against God, he knew that in so doing, he could never have any happiness. He knew that he, knew that he was rejecting any possibility of happiness. But to him, to serve a creature less than himself was so detestable that he would rather be separated from God for all eternity than do that. When man comes to know things, because we come to know things through our senses, we can mistake a limited good or a created good for God. And don't we do that in our world today? How many people are worshiping sports, their own bodies, their pleasure, their money, their material blessings, even if they don't have many. How many people are afraid of death? They're worshiping their life here on this earth as if it were the only thing. No. Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. Yeah, he died on the cross, but he didn't stay dead. And so we look for the resurrection. We too will be raised from the dead. So we, we need to put things back in order. We need to ask the Lord to give us the grace that we need to put everything back in order. Christ came to reconcile us to the Father, and he did that. But we have to cooperate in that process because we are estranged from God and turned away from him. So let us turn back to God. Let us ask Jesus Christ, who is truly God, but really did become man and, and who he died to bring us life. And he rose from the dead to show us that death is not the end of the story. So let's not put our hope in the created things of this world. Let's not put our hope in our government or in the pharmaceutical companies or in the doctors or the nurses or let's put our hope in God and let us not be afraid of death, but let us bravely live the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is truly God. Thank you so much for joining us on Bible with the Barbers. If you want the grace of perseverance, ask for it. Lord, give me the grace of final perseverance. If I'm not in the state of grace, Lord, put me in the state of grace. If I'm in the state of grace, please keep me there. But keep me faithful to you. Join us for the St. Joseph Conference on September 18th. Please sign up on our website or at 877-526-2151. Thank you for listening and for your support.